Welcome to Better Money, a show that points an x-ray at folks driving capital and driving change, people working for better money. I'm Noelle Brown, and I come from the for-profit world. And I'm Jefferson Smith, and I come from the nonprofit world. Noelle, who is here with us today? Jake Flom. Welcome, Jake. Thank you. Jake is the principal of 3x5 Partners, which is an impact-oriented venture fund that invests in innovations of life sciences and resource efficiency. That said, we'd love to hear more about the background. Uh, Jake, what's the origin story? A little bit on, on my background. So I, I had the fortune of growing up all around Asia. My, my dad was in finance. I lived in four countries growing up, traveling all over the place. I never crystallized a, a thing that I knew I wanted to be or to do specifically, but I did have the privilege of understanding and seeing the power that money and finance and understanding how to use this tool that is used around the world can have. And so I generally tailored my education and experiences in that direction. So, uh, you know, physics and economics and CFA education and, and the like, and then looked for opportunities to to gain experience in that in that field. And so I was able to do some work in New York at a startup. Uh, work with a high net worth family directly on numerous projects that they had around the world, and uh, and and more recently moved back to Portland for a second stint in the summer of 2015, and managed to find myself with Three by Five Partners. Uh, and as Noel introduced, Three by Five Partners were a impact oriented venture fund here, and you know fundamentally what we do is we invest in companies that if they're successful, they won't just generate fantastic returns for our investors but they'll have a meaningful impact on either the environment or on people's lives. And we focus in life sciences to generate better patient outcomes and in resource efficiency to help enable us to become better stewards of the one planet that we have. I think you know what I do and, and what we do in particular is really understand that behind the money, behind the CEOs, behind the companies, we're people. And people have certain you know needs uh emotional needs emotional realities and, and and life experiences and whatnot and it can be very easy especially in in the money world i've certainly uh, been a part of it and seen it how uh, vicious it can get and how um dehumanizing or aggressive and we forget that at the end of the day we are all people we all want a good life and you know shelter and food for ourselves our family our friends and our community and and ultimately uh, i do think deep down everybody understands hey we need to create a better life and better world for our grandchildren and so being able to keep that lens and focus uh can help in those moments of challenge when that are inevitable in building businesses and raising money and deploying capital uh, and so having that perspective, I think, has been very helpful. Talk to us a little bit about um, what's the secret sauce? Why is it working now? Would it have worked even 10 years ago? I think there's, there's a few reasons why impact-oriented investing, how, however you wish to define it, is, is perhaps picking up steam. And I think that's, you know, over the last 10, 15, 20 years, we've seen an acceleration in, uh, you know, the great financial recession notwithstanding, generally speaking, incredible economic growth, innovation in technology, uh, the promise and the allure of life becoming better. 
And we see each and every year more degradation of the environment. Uh, for the first time, our generation, at least in the United States, is, is expected to have a lower standard of living than our preceding generation. And I think there's uh, enough of that happening now that it's catalyzing and it's opening eyes to people realizing, hey, we need to be doing something different, again, if we want to create better lives for us and our family and for our grandchildren. And, uh, and, and the, the challenges that we are creating in the world are becoming more severe. The needs for solutions, for the innovations to create better outcomes are more needed now than they were 20 years ago. And so you're, you know, where there's that intense need, there will also drive uh, stronger financial returns uh, as you go ahead, you know, solving those, those, those problems. If someone were going to call bullshit on you or on 3x5 partners, yep. which is different than 3x5 cards, you probably use all shapes, <laughs> any size of cards, uh-huh. all that, you, 8 and a half by 11, a big I'm card sure. card of bullshit, sure. A lot, yeah. of, lot of computers, I'm sure, lots of stuff. But if someone were to call bullshit on your 3x5 card, and what would they say? Or, or what do you have to do to make sure that what you're doing isn't bullshit? Uh, that's a good question. I would say it's... Um, in trying in three by five, trying to make an impact in the world and, and, and in what we do, a couple areas come to mind and, and how people could, you know, call bull on on what we do and how we do it. And I think more frequently about privilege than I have answers for it. Uh, you know, I'm a white male, grew up overseas, plenty of education and means and everything else. Um, same with the founding partners, you know, similar story. Um, and most people that are in venture are look like me or me plus, you know, plus or minus, you know, 20, 10, 20, 30 years. And so minus 30 years would make them. That's very true. That's young. true. You that's true. Very that's young true. venture capitalist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You. Yeah. Continue. No. So I think, you know, um, being careful not to say we have found the way or a way and to not recognize that we we're in a very privileged position and that's not necessarily available to everybody. Uh, you know, for example, just investing in a three by five investment vehicle, you have to be a qualified investor. That's not, not a lot of people are qualified investors. And so, uh, it's, it can, you can definitely call, call bullshit on, you're only being able to do this from a position of privilege and, and, and special power, and it's not applicable to everybody. And that is completely true. And part of my response to something like that would be yes. And what is the best use of our privilege? And we are choosing to try to do something with it that we believe is a good way forward, really open to conversation. If you believe it's not a, you know, the most appropriate or a good way forward, or we could be doing something else, something more, something different. Um, But you know, that's, that's, that's an area I think about for sure. But how do you apply metrics to success for those values beyond, oh, we've been able to deploy blank percentage more capital this year versus three years ago, or this quarter is great for investor returns uh, because the stocks of these things have roughly speaking tracked the stock market or done better. Mm -hmm. How do you measure success? The way we, we talk about three by five to potential investors is come for the returns, stay for the story. We believe that fundamentally, if this space is going to do well for us to serve the space of impact investing well, the returns need to be there to generate the next wave of investors that want to do the same thing. And so 
our focus first and foremost is on generating strong returns for our investors so that we can't be called out as philanthropically inclined or well-meaning you know uh, uh, do-gooders that can't be good stewards of capital in a traditional sense that that still very much dominates um, dominates the 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 thinking so when we go into a company we first you know fundamentally we we assess hey if this company is successful what kinds of impacts are we going to see from it how is it going to improve our healthcare system how is it going to improve the environment or in one way or another and so if you start with an idea that is fundamentally positive along the road it's not that the measuring of the impact along the way is not important it's certainly important but you know that if you cross the finish line with this company because of what it's doing as long as it stays on on that target on that course then you're going to have a, a positive outcome and so you know create a positive course make sure you stay generally speaking on that course focus on the investments and and don't get sloppy or lazy or 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 use your positive course as a as a crutch for why you're not performing as an invest investment service which is what we are fundamentally and what if that return that they're providing you um something's compromised along the way mm. how do you navigate that situation that is a tough question for sure uh that happens frequently in uh you know for example some of our investments in life sciences at the end of the day you're creating let's say a drug you have to price the drug what is the right price for that drug farmer bro says it's very expensive it does they do they absolutely do and uh and they it's certainly they uh you know the, the big behemoths can can charge an arm and a leg for certain things uh for you know given where where they are in the sort of the market structure and and, and things like that and the la and a lack of competition uh, and it's you know finding that right balance of you know it's easy to be like wow ten thousand dollars for a drug that seems really expensive and forget well to get that drug to market took 250 million dollars uh, you know and where do you find the right balance of market accessibility returns for investors and you know how, how you do that well and so creating uh, the navigating the potential compromises to your sort of core mission is certainly a challenge that we face. I would say our in general right now, we you know follow a market path and creating those stories and relaying them back in our case to our investors of changes that they're really making in the world, taking for example, Zero Mass Water, a portfolio company of ours that creates water from air and sunlight. We all know what a solar panel is, it creates electricity in those conditions, they create drinking water, potable water. And we do, you know, a good amount of work uh, capturing the story of the deployment of these panels, you know, in schools and orphanages and, and places that don't have access to potable water around the world. And so, you know, you're investing in this company. We're trying to create a company that creates uh, potable water that is that is cost competitive on a time frame with drink, with bottled water that works for people in uh, you know, developing countries and, and, and other, other areas. And we got to tell that story and get it together and, and show our investors. And, you know, we fully believe that company, if and when they're successful, will be game changing for the world. To me, I think there's a difference between um, understanding intellectually why something's a good idea and then having faith in it. 
and you have faith in something when through every step of the way they've made a conscious and moral decision that's aligned with yours and that takes work it takes work at every step to understand when a business is growing how are they selecting their distribution how are they sourcing their materials how are they treating their employees all of these factors at every step of the way they have options and if those options continuously are consistent with the type of world that you want to see then that to me is taking that non-financial data and applying it to your own decision-making process it takes a lot more work it takes a lot more transparency on part of the company but it also takes a lot more transparency and interest and research on the part of the investor themselves so I think we're at this really beautiful turning point in which people are hungry for that um, but they're not quite used to dealing with so much more information I think we've had financial data for a really long time that allows us to see the cash flow the metrics the the numbers behind each business now we've got all this other information and what do we do with that so to Jake's point it's hard to say when we would or we wouldn't invest or divest from a company until which crossroads we get to something and it just doesn't feel right we don't have the faith anymore right and so having that dialogue with investors of what are the things that you really need in order to feel total alignment with, with the strategy that we have set for you or that the thing that we've discussed? So I would say it's a journey, it's, it's a process, and it's a continual dialogue that actually in the long run helps investors stay invested because they're engaged, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, one, one of sort of the uh, aspirations for myself and, and for 3 by 5 for our investors is ultimately to feel more connected to their money in some way. I think we've seen uh, this, you know, not quite the right use of the term, but I would say sort of a disembodiment of money over, you know, the last 20, 30, 50 years, where more and more, I mean, money's not even physical anymore. It's a tap on the phone. It doesn't really exist for, for some people in a sort of tangible, physical way. We are faced with more and more options in uh, in how we live our lives, and you know the the internet is an incredible tool, force of education, everything else, and it has taken us, I think, probably to, to a land of too many choices and 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 paralysis that that can come with that, and a lack of orientation physically in the world of where am I and what matters, what is what I'm doing right now impacting or how is it impacting the people around me, the planet things like that. And I think ultimately, you know, in, in my sort of dream scenario, a better a version of better money would be people feeling connected mm -hmm. to their money and its action in the world. What's another example of an investment you made or investment some of the, sure. your investors made that really inspired you? Absolutely. So uh, we have a investment, a company called Smart Wires. The what, what they do is they are a, a power flow control set of devices for the transmission line. Transmission line as a civilian is not something that we necessarily think about a lot. I mean, yeah, we see the power lines, you know, above our house or on the roads or things like that. But all the work that goes into managing those lines and the uh, the amount of planning and time and, and everything that it takes to make sure that power gets everywhere is incredibly co complex and complicated and something that we take for granted. And with the introduction of renewable energy. So they're intermittent supplies and generations of energy, solar when the sun shines, wind when the wind's blowing, and the rapidly changing as well, 
load on the transmission line. So the use of energy on the other side in terms of development, things changing more more rapidly than you can with a then you can sort of rebuild these major reconductoring lines. So smart wires has created a, a set of uh, products that helps the utilities that manage these transmission grids to be able to bring on renewable energy by uh, dynamically changing what's called the impedance of the line, which is essentially the friction that electron feels. So utilities can now push and pull actively electrons with smart wires to ensure that lines don't get overloaded, that lines that are being underutilized can be fully utilized now. And fundamentally, from a sustainability perspective, you know, the building that exists is actually the most sustainable building. If you build a, you know, a net zero living building, everything else from scratch, that's still going to take more energy and more resources and everything else. If you did the full calculation on it, than a building that's already there and yeah, it's a little leaky. Uh, so they're being able to, with this technology, they can use the infrastructure that's already there. They can welcome these intermittent flows of energy that are, you know, carbon neutral. Uh, onto the grid in a way that doesn't scare the utilities because it's so unpredictable. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's uh, again, that's something that's a little geekier in no, some ways. That's awesome. Uh, and not something that we necessarily think about or, or, or touch on. Think about. I don't even think people look at the power line. No, they yeah. The power yeah, lines yeah, 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 yeah. Great. Yeah. Thanks, Jake. It looks like now is our time for the rapid round. All right. And so our first question to start is, what is a piece of advice that inspires you? So, so one thing that I've been thinking about a lot recently is the the balance between chaos and order, and the need to have both in different measures at different times. And I'm thinking sort of in the lifestyle of a business, but really, I mean, I, this is true in life. And I think people generally tend to uh, gravitate to one side or the other of that uh, that spectrum of that polarity. The truth is you need both. And I think if you can recognize, hey, am I a chaotic person or am I an orderly person? When might I need a dose of the other side to help create what it is I'm striving to create? Because ultimately you need both. You need the creativity of chaos, the openness of chaos, but you also need the structure and the, the building ability of order. That's why I'm friends with Lindsay and Noel. <laughs> I was going to say, set, set a guy with no small kids in his life yet. Yeah, no, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I love it. Um, great. Well, what is a book that needs to be on our bookshelves? So as a, a person in the financial field, uh, a book that my dad gave me when I was in, in college was The Only Investment Guide You'll Ever Need by Andrew Tobias. It's uh, a little funny and silly and irreverent, and it also covers all the bases for what you need to get a hold of your personal finance, in my opinion, to at least educate you to have the kinds of conversations you want to have in your life around that. And what's something about you no one knows? That no one knows? That's tough. I, um, uh, I, so, I mean, I guess it, it's, it's more known amongst, um, amongst my friends, um, but uh, it's... I've been, uh, you know, I, I talk about my, my privileged background having a dad in finance. I've also had another privileged background in my mom's a yoga teacher. And so my whole life I've been able to sort of be around those philosophies and, and thoughts and, and practice on and off uh, in varying uh, intensities uh, throughout my life. Thanks for being with us, man. Yeah, this is fun. I'm really <laughs> glad I did it. Thanks, Noel. Thanks so much, Jefferson. And thanks for spending time on Better Money. 
also want to say thanks to our guests, our producers, and to the team of X-Ray FM here in Portland, Oregon. Thank you also to Phantom Sons for the theme music. You can find all episodes of Better Money on xraypod.com and all the other places where you get your podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or high fives to share, you can email us at bettermoney at xray.fm.